What's up, everybody? I'm Vaughn. I'm Jenny. Thanks for rocking with us. And you're listening to Chameleon Love. What is Chameleon Love? Chameleon Love stems from a conversation I had with my wife, just letting her know that my love for her will always change. It'll have to change in the season that she's in, in the time frame that she's in, no matter the situation that she's going through, my love has to adapt to her. Much like a chameleon adapts to their environment, they blend in. I have to make sure that I adapt to her love. I have to love her how she is, and as she continues to change, I'll have to continue to find ways to love her as she is in that particular time frame. That's chameleon love. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Chameleon Love. This is the second part of Generational Curses. If you listen to the first part of Generational Curses, we talked about a lot of different things that families pass down on to offspring and to grandchildren and so forth and how we're trying to break those generational curses. This is part two, so if you haven't listened to part one, do yourself a favor, go back and listen to part one first and then come back to part two. Part two is mainly going to be talking about the financial piece of it, the finances, the financial illiteracy that we often as especially African-Americans pass down to our children of not really understanding what finances are, not really passing down any wealth and how we're in today's modern world trying to break that cycle and establish financial literacy for our children. Jenny, would you say that your family passed down a generational curse of financial illiteracy? Or do you think you were prepared to handle your finances? I would say financial illiteracy was definitely passed down to me and my brothers within my family. I think stemming back from my mom, she taught me as much as I could as much as she could about finances, about balancing, you know, checkbooks and that sort of thing. But when it came down to saving and investing and um, preparing your finances in the moment and for the future, that wasn't something that was given to me or taught to me. Uh, My mom was definitely more financial literate than my dad Whereas my dad came into the marriage illiterate period um, on a financial front. And that was just what was passed down from him, you know, what mm-hmm. was passed down from his family, his lineage. Right. And um, to be honest with you, he didn't really have a desire to change that. So you, you, you so, said something very um, particular in that you said investments. I was never taught about investments. Right. I knew nothing about investments probably till about six years ago. And I really didn't make my first investment till about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did your parents invest in anything or your grandparents that you know of? Um, so my mom, again, was the, was the investor. But when it came down to really understanding what her finances were doing, was were doing for her and how they were working for her. She lost a lot of like, money, like four hundred one k. Yeah, four hundred one k. If you know, it was it was little investments, you know. But she was doing the best that she could. I, I kudos to her for actually even, you know, going forth with that, not really knowing how 
how that works and you know to take that sacrifice you make a sacrifice you have four kids so investing is a sacrifice so to see her do that in times where she didn't really understand it was admirable but at the same time it was very risky because there was no one watching her money you know financial planner you know speaking of a financial planner i think you and i got a financial planner what a couple of years ago and that was yeah. that was literally my first time ever sitting down Terry. speaking yeah terry you know speaking to someone about our finances and really mapping that out and really evaluating and assessing what we're spending what we're what's going out of the house what needs to stay in um and to be honest when he did that it really opened my eyes to how much is really going out but also how much we're able to sustain with the little that we do have invested. And let me just paint that picture for people that people that don't know. So when we did that, we sat down with Terry and Terry kind of mapped it out for us. And, you know, he said, this is what you have coming in. This is what you have going out. And I remember talking to you afterwards because at this time I was working, I was Working a forty-five thousand dollar job. It was a couple of years ago, I was working a forty-five thousand dollar job. You I were working four part-time four jobs. Part-time jobs, yeah. Tyson was what, uh, maybe two? Yeah, he was little. And so we're paying, you know, daycare. We're paying all these bills, all this stuff coming out, mm-hmm. and essentially on a forty-five thousand uh, dollar salary. And I remember looking at you, and I was like, "How are we?" able to sustain our lifestyle which is by no means you know flamboyant or anything like that is very low-key we live a very low-key modest lifestyle but still even in that i'm like how are we making it yeah you know other than god like i i really had no way to to explain how we were making it it. really but we were making the grace of god when you think about that though and that and that opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I'm just like, man, like we really need to sit down. First off, we need to get some life insurance. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that a lot of black people in general don't have is life insurance. Yeah. Um, my I think my dad just got life insurance like a few years ago. Mm. He didn't have any life insurance before. I don't think mom. I don't know if my mom has. It. I think she might have a small policy, yeah. but I don't know. And it's like we, you know, we're starting our family. We had Tyson. We yeah. were, you know, planning to have another kid eventually. So we knew that we needed it. We just didn't have anything. Yeah, I think when you start talking about that, um, speaking of life insurance too, it's something that we underestimate in life planning. We and underestimate. That's an too. It is an investment. It, it does. It it's does a, it's cost. A monthly, monthly cost. And just like any type of insurance, you, you you don't have it. When you don't have it, you need it. Yeah. Um, and those are when unfortunate events happen, circumstances mm-hmm. occur. And one thing my mom did do with the knowledge that she had was she vowed to herself and us that she would always have us covered. And that's what she did. She had several policies, you mm-hmm. know, um, 
and it had them reevaluate it year after year or every couple of years and that sort of thing. So that's one thing she always did was had our life insurance mapped out. And I, I think a lot of that stems from the fact that her parents didn't have these things in line. Mm-hmm. And it complicates the future when you don't prepare yourself for those circumstances. It really does. It complicates every every everybody that has a hand in that in your life. You know, you can either make it very seamless and easy um, or you can complicate their lives by not having things yeah, in place. Because if, if you pass away unexpectedly and then you what? don't have things in place, that is going to hinder your family yeah. a lot. And one of the things that that I know that we need to do is we need to get a living will. We yeah. need to get a living will. Yeah. We need to get a will in place mm-hmm. to ju- just in case, you know, something happens to us prematurely. Yeah. We have the, the, um, life insurance covered. And we people. have that piece covered. You know, I have it, you have it and Tyson has it, Yeah. but we have to make sure that, we got a will in place. No, that's, that's, and that's true. And that's something that my mom did a couple of years ago. You know, thankfully she's lived this long for us to be able to put a will in place. But we were talking a couple of years ago and we were like, man, what if something happened before then? And so, you know, when you think about that, a, a lot of us are uncomfortable talking about death too. You know, because you you don't it's nothing it's nothing, nothing you enjoyable about. about it. You know, planning your funeral, planning planning your death, or things like that. But there, these are some things. These it's are real. real life situations, and the more that you talk about it, the more that you prepare you prepare for it, the easier it'll be on everyone else around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't want our our children to be in a frenzy if something were to happen you know, unfortunate with us, which is why we've chosen godparents and, and, and put people in place and accounts, you know, certain things, taking certain measures to ensure that they have, yeah, are taken care of and have a smooth transition for the ones who are caring for them, you know, should anything happen. But I, I think, like you said, we also have some work to do, you know, now we have another child, you know, Ace came into the picture. So now we got to go and reevaluate, reassess, the insurance, right, mm-hmm. um, to make sure that it includes and it's covering him. Then you know, we just there. There's certain many things. Then we have to go and check on our other other policy that we have in place, just to ensure that they're not changes that need to be made with that. So when you th- when you talk about that, um, finances is just such a huge place. Financial literacy is a huge um, aspect of of. I think typically. Generation. When we think of when we think of the financial piece of it and why a lot of us are illiterate to it, I think part of it is from when our grandparents were growing up, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of systemic oppression. Yeah. Which didn't allow them to have the the resources Mm -hmm. to learn about finances right you know they had the hardest time buying houses Mm -hmm. to be able to set us up which they didn't know then in the 50s and 60s Mm -hmm. but 
their grandkids or great grandkids in 2019 would have a time, you know, trying to figure out what finances are, how credit card debt can, you know, accumulate and hurt your credit score and all this other stuff. My mom and my dad and the household I grew up in and, and, and my grandparents and, you know, aunts, uncles, nobody really sat down and talked to me about finances Mm -hmm. and how to manage them. And I think a major part of that was because they didn't really know how to manage finances themselves. Right. So you can't really teach what you don't know. Right. You know, you can only give me what you have. And if you don't have that because you weren't taught that. Right. Then it's kind of like, okay, I got to figure it out on my own. Right. I I like, you know, what you said there when you talk about systemic oppression, um, financial oppression. I think that's a big factor. I think that's something to really um, think about, too, because when it comes down to certain things like credit, you know, most of our ancestors had to put things on credit. You know, and and that's how they were able to actually make it to the next week. week if they week, could get if it. they could get credit, but the little stores, I you know, I, I'm with seniors most of the time throughout the day, and so my seniors really reflect on that. I remember they remember having to go and stand in lines in the back of the stores, and they couldn't buy anything in that store uh, with cash. They had to put it on credit until they got a certain amount of allowance, you know, that week, and then they come spend the allowance you know, that they need for that week to cover what they put on credit the previous week. So it kept them in debt. Um, And I thought that that was, it's an interesting reflection on what they experienced back in the day. You Mm -hmm. know, so they were taught to depend on a system that that was definitely not conducive for them. That can mentally weigh on you, especially when you're young, when you're... Let's say, you know, your one of your seniors at the time was 11, 12 years old. That's a negative impression that it can leave on a 12-year-old because then you're growing up thinking like, okay, this is the way it is. Yeah. This is how it's supposed to go. And you take that into your teenage years mm-hmm. and you take that into your young adulthood and then eventually into your you know, older adulthood, mm-hmm. and then you pass it down to to your kids. Like, hey, this is the way I did it. This is the way it is, mm-hmm. and it's it, it and it's only they're only saying that because that's what they've known mm-hmm. for their entire life. And and we know that it's you know systemic oppression exist. We know that we don't really like to talk about it, but in order to really have um, an open dialogue around finances and generational uh, financial illiteracy, it is important for us to delve into that, to dive into that subject and really explore that. What is, what does that entail? Um, Another part that my seniors like to reflect on not necessarily like to, but they want to make it known is that welfare was something that they depended on if that was something that they were eligible for only if at that time a black father was not in the house. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that from one of them and I, I had to step back a couple of, you know, take a couple of steps back and really reflect on that. And they were like, if you want to know it, read it. And I went and found it. And that is, that is true. 
they were not at that time back in the day were not eligible for welfare if a black father resided in that house so and so the black father had had to be removed from the house yes however way that looked in order for the family for the mother in order for the mother to get welfare exactly so that means then i would i would imagine if if that's me knowing that and I'm it's back in the 50s, 60s or whatever and that's mm-hmm. me knowing that and I'm like, okay, I need to remove myself from the home mm-hmm. just so my family can eat. Exactly. So it's a sacrifice for the dad, a sacrifice mm-hmm. for the family and that's kind of like a broken home. It's a broken home and so you start that division in the home. You start it way, I mean, just look at, look at that. So black fathers were leaving their homes you know, just on the premise of, of thinking that their families were going to be cared for just so that they could eat and, mm. and, you know, survive. And so you think about that. Like, I can't stay in my home, but a white family can stay in their home and they can, they, they're, they're, they have access to all of these eligible resources and my family can't if I'm there. So, you know, over time, I can't imagine what my my seniors feel like. And, and a lot of them are still very angry about certain things. And, and it's a very touchy subject for them. And so now they are now trying to play catch up. So now my job is to give them financial, provide them with financial literacy and bring mm-hmm. people in to talk about investing. And most of them don't know uh, what your Social Security is and how it works for them and different things like that. It's, I mean... The finances is so deep. One of the things that I remember, and this not to switch gears too abrupt, but one of the things I remember, so the school I went to, I went to Morris Hill College. It's now Morris Hill University. Shout out Lions on that. So my school was predominantly white, and it was a private school. So if you weren't there on scholarship of some sort, academic or athletic, or had a ton of grants or whatever, then you were paying out of pocket. When I first started going there, I think tuition was like twenty thousand roughly. When I left, it was a it was close to thirty thousand a year. Now, I remember those. You remember the the refund checks? Mm-hmm. I remember those too. Oh, you know, a lot of people used to get refund checks, mm-hmm. but I remember even though my school was predominantly white. And when I say predominantly white, I mean like probably 80% white. I think it's changed a little bit now. So maybe that number isn't as high, but it's probably like 80% white. Most of the the black kids that went there, most of us that went there, we played some type of sport. Of course. We played some type of sport or you had a few that just went and it was just regular students. But most of us played some type of sport. So... I remember looking at the refund check line because they used to have a line that you stand out in front of the financial aid office and get your refund check. Mm -hmm. And whenever those checks hit, it would be a line. And if you look in that line, 95% of the people were black. Mm -hmm. And I never really paid it attention, you know, first couple of years. But my senior year, I kind of realized like, man, like it's mainly black people that are getting this because most of the white people that I went to school with, the families were paying for it. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to take out the student loan. Now, some of them did. I'm not saying every, everybody, mm-hmm. but a lot of them, 
their families had the money to pay for it, mm-hmm. whereas most of us didn't. Some some of them did, but most didn't. Right. And thinking back on it now, as 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 an adult, that is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And it and it and it really puts a, a few things in perspective for me, in terms of like I have to make sure I'm busting my butt to educate myself. Mm-hmm. To make sure that I can educate my children at a younger age. So by the time they go to college, they already have a good concept of what debt to income ratio is, how to manage their Mm -hmm. money, Mm -hmm. how to um, what credit looks like. There was the importance of credit. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the importance of credit was. You convinced me to get my first credit card. I didn't know what that was about. At, at at all yeah. like any of that stuff like and then we started working at the bank together mm-hmm. we started working at Wachovia which was a really I you know opening that was super eye opening situation there when we started working with the bank and actually we actually saw how money works how and, it was mismanaged and how so it was much. mismanaged and um how that debit card is the devil sometimes you know not realizing how much is going out of your house because you just especially you're just swiping you know knowing that there's money there but you don't realize that you've just you know spent the budget for the month or you know for the next couple of months just because you have the freedom to swipe and I didn't realize that you know how much money these banks were getting off of us as consumers and over fees man that's, so i mean hundreds of that's, dollars that's, a, that's a another month, level that's a whole uh, nother talk you know, right of there. overdrafts and and what was it, unavailable fees yeah. and these banks were just making so much money off of your little money the, off, off of people's misfortunes Mis- basically. Mis- misfortunes and they would have and, and nine times out of ten people would call us and beg for their money back yeah right and I would give it to them because I and, feel like Robin Hood I mean hey <laughs> you did you created like Christmas every every chance you got but everybody their money back yeah you know but that was just and then let, let's take it a step further I also in banking learned how many people didn't have wills in place and their estates properly managed Mm -hmm. and when they passed their estates went to the state go to the state yeah and it sits there and that is a whole lot of money and a lot of assets that the government has i forgot what they call it um they call it something isn't it um I can't, I can't I can't think of it, yeah. but but they call it something. Whenever it goes to the, the when the estate goes to the state yeah. and it sits there, and then your family have to jump through hoops and hurdles mm-hmm. and all kinds of other stuff just to get your money, mm-hmm. which which you you may have intended to leave to them, but you ain't have anything in place that says that. Mm-hmm. So it sits there in this. And it was sad telling these families that, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't help you. You know, no, you can't get your mother's money. And, you know, well, then right. what's going to happen? I mean, it's sad. You got to go get a death certificate. Yeah. You got to go here. You and even do this. with the death certificate, if, Still that, if that family member didn't have the proper procedures in place, 
you're still not getting that money or the assets to that estate. And so probate. That, that's probate. What, that's, what yeah. that's what I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. It has to, and, go, it has and, to go through probate. probate. Yeah. And so asset management would come in, take over those accounts, and there's nothing that we could do. Our hands were tied. We couldn't even talk about them. And this is still, this so, still happens today. Yeah. So, you know, talking to myself here, but also talking to you all that's listening as well. If you don't have that stuff in place, please do. We need to go get yeah, it. We, we need to we make do. it happen now. You and I have been talking about it for the longest, mm-hmm. but we really need to make it happen because it's so important because Lord forbid something happens right. to me or you. And, and we got to go through all this other stuff on top of grieving just to get what's ours. And take the, the, the necessary steps to really stretch your um, stretch your financial literacy and, you know, reach out to a financial planner. Make them a part of your life. You know, we don't do that as much as we should. We should be talking right. to Terry. Right. You know, this is a new year. Indeed. We need to be talking to him, you know, getting us back on track with our finances so that we can make sure that we have reassessed those, reevaluate those ever so often to ensure that we're not just mismanaging, you know, money here and there. And, and we're not, you know, we're not big spenders, so we don't have to worry about that. But what we could be doing with our money, I mean, we, we could be. It's just stretching it farther, and um, that's that's important that we make sure that we stay on top of those things, and making sure that you know in a relationship, money is one of those things that is very uncomfortable, can be a very uncomfortable subject to talk about. Many but people have divorced yeah, over money, over and, finances, and there are several times that you and I have come, you know, we we've we've cut it close with <laughs> meeting our needs with, with and meeting and, ends, and, and, but. I am proud to say yeah. that in the eight years you and I've been dating, six years, almost six years we've been married, we've never, ever had one single argument mm-hmm. over finances. We didn't. But let me just tell you how it was heartbreaking. <laughs> I will be completely honest. Two years ago when I saw my 401k dwindle. Yeah. Because we had to take what resources that we had to survive. And let me just say, when you get married, you don't really think about how selfish you are. But there are certain circumstances that really make you reflect on that self, that selfishness. Mm -hmm. And in the moment... I was thinking to myself, oh, okay, at least I have 20 something thousand over here. You know, I, I'll have it. I'll have it. Not we, I'll have it if we need it. And then we end up needing it. We end up needing it. And so it was a life lesson for me in that moment too. Number one, um, you know, making sure that you're setting your family up when you get married, that's no longer yours. That is ours. You know, your debt becomes that person's. You assume someone else's debt. Because I got to, di- I had to dig into my 401k You had to too, dig into summer. yours too, yeah. When I got laid off. So, And it's know. a rebuilding thing, but it, it's it's not impossible for us to rebuild. I think it's important for us to have those open-ended conversations about right. finances. And, oh, let's not talk about <laughs> that time I told you that I uh, accumulated mm. some, so, some credit card debt. Let me, let me just share this story real quick. <laughs> My wife ah. sat me down and she was like, hey, 
I want to talk to you about some things. I was like, okay. But she had this very puzzled look on her face. I was so scared. And so (laughs) the nervousness started sitting in on her. So I'm reading her face and I'm like, all right, this don't look too well. So I'm bracing myself for impact, basically. I'm like, okay. She didn't she done went out here and cheated on me. <laughs> in my <laughs> in my mind. Like, so I'm like, yeah. okay. I said, before you start, is it another guy? Yeah. You said, no, it's not another guy. Mm-mm. I said Far from it. Is it another girl? Hey, I don't. It's 2019. I had to make sure that I cancel out all possibilities. Yeah. So then she said, No, it's not anyone else. I said, Okay, let's take divorce off the table. Yeah. (laughs) This is something that we can deal with here. So then. You know, I said, okay, what's, what's, what's going on? So she, you know, went into telling me that she had accumulated some debt with the credit card. And it was a lot. You calculated those numbers, though. Yeah, I calculated the numbers very quick. And, you know, I looked and I said, okay. I understand why she did that. Yeah. It wasn't like she was going out here and she was buying... You know, Louis Vuitton purses and red bottoms and all kinds of other stuff just for the heck of it. She was using this money for our means to substitute when she was out of work. and Which was over a year. So that's something that, you know, I was like, okay, it's not a a good feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, I understand why. Yeah. And that's growth on my part, and that's growth on her part for bringing it to my attention. Because she really didn't have to tell me. I don't know where her credit card bill is. I don't know where her balance is. She could have mm-hmm. just swept it under the rug and not said anything. But I, I told her, I said, I appreciate you for coming to me and telling me Yeah, we're going to get through this together. Well, let me just say, it was, number one, over $14,000. That's a lot of money. All right. Oh, I'd yeah. never been in that much debt before. And then uh, number two, I was relying on the 401k that I had saved right. to come and, you know, terminate that debt. Right. And that didn't work that way because we needed it. And so, again, you know, this these are important things to talk about and important scenarios. When we did premarital counseling, I don't know if you remember, but the financial piece that we went through was very extensive. Very extensive. And it's, those that, questions, that was a couple of sessions. Those questions that he gave us, we answered yes and no to. Right. And we came to figure out very quickly that they not one of those questions was a yes or no answer. Right. Because it really about it really required us to think through some things and now we can pull those questions back out and they can become relevant to us because we have a family and because mm-hmm. you know we're you know almost six years in to marriage so that i just encourage all everyone if you're dating someone planning on getting married get comfortable with talking about finances get comfortable having those conversations mm-hmm. it's going to be ugly sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable but you, what you don't want is a surprise later, you right. know. So you really want to know, you know. You playing spades in this thing. Want to know what's in the other person's hand? No, you need to be <laughs> on a team. You know, you need to know what's in the other person's hand and what's in their, you know, what's in their past. 
because, um, you know, where they stand with financial literacy, because it's a, it could be a make it or break it. And thankfully we don't argue about money, you know, by the grace of God, we don't, we don't do that, but it's, it can be a very uncomfortable situation. My final thought, my final thought would be to make sure a, if you have a family, if you have a wife, if you have kids, make sure that you have some form of life insurance. First and foremost. Yeah. Secondly, be open to discussing your money mismanagements, your mishaps, your illiteracies that you that you may have. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm -hmm. If you don't know something, find someone that's a trusted advisor, that's a consultant to help you. Mm-hmm. Don't go to your Uncle Johnny asking for financial advice if Uncle Johnny doesn't have any money. Or Aunt Riri. You don't want to go <laughs> ask a broke person how to manage your money. Right. That doesn't make sense. So put that pride aside, especially with men. We're very prideful. So, mm-hmm. you know, push that pride aside. And if you don't know or you unaware, don't be afraid to ask the right person. Right. That can, you know, give you some sturdy advice. You know, don't be afraid to ask him for help. Yeah. You know, talk out your situations. If you're in a relationship and, you know, there's some, there's some, you know, miscalculations going on. If you guys are sitting down doing a budget or talking about whatever, something doesn't seem right, bring it up. Figure out where it came from. And if it's a mismanagement on, you know, your part, own up to it. If it's a mismanagement on your spouse's part, then be open to hear why this person accumulated this amount of debt and talk about it. I think a lot of times back in the older days, they didn't really talk about finances Mm -hmm. like that. Again, most of it was because they were illiterate to that fact. And so they passed it down to us. You know, we want to continuously be open to talking about it and when our sons are old enough to talk to them about it too. Hey, listen, this is what mommy and daddy's bills look like. Mm -hmm. This is what the light bill looks like. This is what the water bill looks like. This is what we pay for a mortgage. This is our car note. This This is is how it looks. Right. But this is also how we got here. And then this is what happened. You know, these are the certain things that we had to encounter. Right. Misfortunes along the way in order for us to get here. Also talk about, you know, the being open with the the failures in finances because that's important too for you to make sure you paint that real picture for them and those around you and yourself so that you don't continue to dig yourself deeper. So, right. you know, going into 2019, I want us to, to just get more, more intimate with our finances, you know, being more illiterate and, and making sure that we are... We're doing the best that we can do, too, to ensure that we're assessing them effectively, you know, versus where it's a financial literacy class. I think that's what we're talking about going into, Mm -hmm. you know, taking a class. You know, our our brother Ron Mm -hmm. has taught those those classes and and I'm excited about that to be able to grow with our finances. But thank you for not leaving me when I am. Yeah, because I was I was on that, um, I was on American Airlines looking at one way tickets. Go to Brazil or something. Thankful for that. But anyway, 
We want to thank everyone again for uh, listening to Chameleon Love. You can find me on IG at Vaughn underscore Tuff. That's V-O-N underscore T-U-F-F. You can also check us out on our uh, IG page for Chameleon Love. It's at Chameleon Love Podcast. And um, you can find me as Jenny Grind on Instagram. All right. So thank you again, uh, folks, for listening to the second part of Generational Curses. If you didn't listen to the first part, again, go back and listen to that first part. And that'll bring you up to speed leading into the second part. We hope everyone had a happy holidays and leading into 2019. We hope to hear great things from you. If you have any comments, uh, feel free to DM us or leave a comment on one of our pictures on Instagram. We would greatly appreciate if you have any topics or any uh, other issues that you want to talk about, you want us to talk about, or if you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, also please hit me up or hit us up and let us know. And we'd be happy to see if we can work something out from there. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in and you're listening to Chameleon Chameleon Love. Love.